Well, again, welcome to Christ the King. Thank you for uh, being with us today. The um, the world is uh, going swiftly into chaos and confusion. And like we talked about last week, uh, Psalm 46 tells us that when the earth is shaken, uh, when things are in an uproar, we are to look to our God, who is our strength, our refuge, our redeemer, our help. Uh, in time of trouble. So we have an election coming up in a couple of days, and and certainly a lot of changes are ahead one way or the other. Uh, but I want to read for you today from Matthew chapter 6, very familiar passage from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about the subject of anxiety. I don't know anybody that's not anxious right now, and so I thought, well, I know I am. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll talk about anxiety And hopefully it will uh, center us as Christians on our hope and strength in this time uh, of trouble and turmoil around the world and uh, here at home in the United States and certainly here in El Paso as we go through this uh, terrible plague. So I'll read from uh, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start at verse 19 and read to the end of the chapter. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. And if not, you're welcome to just listen, and sometimes it is helpful, I think, uh, to just listen and not to be messing with a, a Bible or with an iPhone, but simply to listen to God's Word coming uh, to you. So now hear the Word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for its own self. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You know, anxiety can paralyze you or it can drive you. And I think that's what Jesus is most concerned about when he talks about treasures of the heart, things like that. Our lives are on a continuum from one extreme to the other, and we're always trying to find some balance in the middle. Uh, but like Richard Pratt used to tell us, uh, balance is only, the, the, the deck of life is always shifting, and balance is only momentary synchronicity. A human being in this life is never going to be able to find that place of pure calm and peace. There's always going to be things tugging at our hearts from different directions. It's impossible not to. Our heart was made, designed by God, to treasure things, to want things, and to find value in things. And there's nothing wrong with that until you find a treasure that is controlling you to the extent that it either paralyzes you or drives you. Paralysis is being frozen in place. You you can't do anything. You're like a rabbit who's uh, uh, a fox has jumped out and you just freeze. The other side of it is that you can be driven. And I think we see that in America today. We are driven by money, by looks, by success. It's all around us. Pick up your phone. Go to the news feed. It's unbelievable the imagery that is being put, put to us day and night. And even if you lived in a non-technological age, there would be people walking down the dusty street of your village that would have more than you or be in better shape than you, be better looking than you. And what would happen? You would still be gripped by anxiety. This is not something that is just uh, the 21st century. Jesus talks about it. And he commands us, do not be anxious. And so as our world is in upheaval, I mean, we have people, all you have to do is read your news feed, and it doesn't matter where you're looking. You can look anywhere along the continuum of the news, and there are people that are paralyzed with fear. There are people that are, that are paralyzed and driven, uh, paralyzed on one side and driven on the other. The people that are driven are prepping, They're getting their guns ready, their food ready, their money ready. They're getting ready for war and civil war and upheaval. And you've got other people on the other side who are just presumptuous and laissez-faire. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry. As soon as our candidate gets elected or our candidate is reelected, everything will be all right. And you know what? If it is, it's the first time in the history of this planet that everything is all right. And so I don't know that uh, we as Christians are to put our eggs in that basket. In fact, my whole career here at Christ the King has been to tell you not to do that. So I'm going to do the same thing today, unashamedly, point you to Jesus Christ. And I think what the Lord says in this passage, I don't think it, I know it. It's what he says, just plain and simple. Look, Jesus commands us, do not be anxious. And he tells us, just in this little passage, he shows us three things. He wants us to take an inner look. Look inside. Then he tells us, look outside. Look at how God has provided for you and how he provides for his entire creation. 
Good, bad, it doesn't matter. He is always providing for us. And finally, look up. Where is the treasure of your heart? And to diagnose treasure is not hard. There's no deep, you don't need to go see a psychologist to find out what your treasure is. All we have to do is take it away from you. And how do you react? If your world is turned upside down, that's your treasure. And make no mistake, Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon. And that's what concerns me as a pastor, what concerns uh, Dawson, our assistant pastor, uh, what concerns Vijay, who's here today, who's in, in over our journey, discipleship groups, our men's groups. Uh, uh, Sal is here today, our deacon, our diaconate ministry. Everything is focused in one laser projection towards the Lord Jesus. And when anything takes us in a different direction, we need to beware. We've got to beware. Pastors are notorious for counting nickels and noses. How many people are in the sanctuary? If we're going to go by that, we've got five or six here today. We're poor. But you can't measure the money. You can't measure in money the treasure that God is talking about. So look, let's take a moment. Look inside. Jesus says to look in verses 19 through 24. He says, where is your treasure? There your heart is. A treasure is the thing that is most valuable. It's central to your life. It shouldn't be looked at like this. I think a lot of us want to put treasure as first. In other words, we'll say, okay, I'm going to put God first in my life, and I'm going to put my family next, and I'm going to put uh, you know, the church next, and I'm going to put my citizenship in the United States next. And we have this this pyramid or a cone of certainty where, you know, God is sort of at the top and everything falls out underneath that. And that's okay. But it's not the best image. The better image is that God is central. He is seated upon the throne of your life. He is the controlling factor, the deepest love, the con- so that any one of those things around you may go off the, ter- off the rails. They may fall apart. Health, money, children, you may lose something that you cannot replace. Then what? Treasure is anything that is central to your life, not necessarily first. Because when you're busy with your family and your kids and, and career and you're young and you're you know trying to build your life, that becomes a priority and so it moves up higher on the scale. But if you're busy and you're putting in a 60-hour work week and you've got three kids at home and you're trying to figure out how to do things and you don't have much time for all the other stuff, churchy stuff and all that, but God is still central. He is the treasure of your heart. Then even though you're giving a majority of your time to this over here, He is in that and is controlling that. We should never feel guilty about having to invest a lot of time in things or people, or a family. As long as God is central. He goes with us. He doesn't stay back here and we go do our thing. He's our treasure. The thing that is most valuable. And the heart, of course, we've talked about this, I don't know how many times, and yet you almost can't listen to a sermon or read a book today that we don't talk about the heart. The heart is not your emotional, the seat of your emotions. It's you. It's all of you. What you think, how you feel, what you are. In fact, if you look up this word heart, it's, it's, what is, 
It's all of you, every part of you. It's not just a little bit of you. And your treasure is what makes you who you are. The treasure could be anything. Now, Jesus, I think brilliantly, he's genius. He uses money. And in the old King James, I think it says mammon. And actually, mammon may be a better word because mammon was a little bit more inclusive. The newer translations, you know, put money. But mammon was everything. It's what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, all the things that he describes. And so don't just think about your bank account. But he uses it brilliantly, as he does in all of his teaching, as an example. Is money your security? Is looks your security? The clothing you wear, uh, the, the, the makeup, how you look uh, as, as a woman, or now men. I mean, men are very concerned about grooming and all that. We used to be like cavemen, but the, the turn of the century, we have got to really get on the program here and look good, and, you know, we clean up and... and uh, and nothing wrong with that. But it can become so important that it becomes a controlling factor and it either paralyzes you, I can never look that good, or it drives you, I've got to look that good so I won't eat, I won't do this, I'll exercise profusely, I'll do all of it because I've got to have that. If that goes away, I'm lost, I'm dead, I'm finished. And Jesus goes right to that. And he's doing nothing but recapitulating the Old Testament Proverbs. I've been reading Proverbs a lot. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on something, it's gone suddenly. It sprouts wings. Look at the imagery. It's beautiful. It sprouts wings. You light your eyes on something. You say, ah, oh, that's the thing. You know, i got to have that new Mac computer. Look, this is an old one. I want a new one. Mine works fine. But it just, it's old. But it sprouts wings and it flies away like an eagle toward the heavens. Everything we have is outdated as soon as we get it. Now I watched the confirmation hearings for this uh, sixth conservative Supreme Court justice like many of you did. Uh, and, and, and I think she's going to be a good Supreme Court justice. It's my opinion. And uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. But one thing we know about the Supreme Court. They're all going to die. So while we're jumping up and down, thank goodness we've got this now. Everybody dies, it sprouts wings, it flies away. And yet we put all our hopes and our dreams, and I'm using one example from our current cultural moment in this polarized country that we live in, where where forces are really tearing at us, and look, it takes two to tangle, so you want to blame the left or right, it takes both, and make no mistake, the church is not somewhere in the middle like we're desperately trying to be in this country. We need to get off that continuum and go run to Jesus and look to His kingdom and His righteousness. That's what will save us. Plus nothing. Now that's just an example. So Jesus says, look in your heart. 22 and 20 through 24, He talks about this explicitly. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. In other words... 
Uh, he's not saying literally. He's talking, he's using metaphorical language that we in the West in modern days we are sometimes getting our head around it. But he's talking about what is absorbing our vision, what is in our, our windshield, if you will, of life. That's the thing that's going to bring the light in. What are you focusing? Where is your treasure? For where the treasure is, there is the heart also. Verse 21. So he tells us, take an inner look. And the inner look is not one that you become morbidly introspective and you're looking at your belly button and saying om and, you know, trying to get in touch with something down there. No, it's just a real honest look. Take your Bible and take the Bible and put it in your heart and take that inner look. What is your treasure? How much of God's Word is actually and truly informing everything we think about and everything we do? I don't know. Next, he says, look outside. He's saying, he gives an example. This is brilliant rhetoric. It is unbelievable how he crafted uh, the Lord's Prayer or the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which includes the Lord's Prayer. Forgive me. I'm still thinking about that beautiful Lord. You guys did a great job. Wow. Amazing. Okay. So we pray the Lord's Prayer. Then they play the Lord's Prayer. Wow. Okay. So look Outside, verses 25 through 32, he's telling us, consider, he says, because you cannot serve both God and money, because that's not possible, and believe me, you can't, and everybody knows it, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, it doesn't matter. Everybody knows you can't do that. So, he said, because you can't do it, don't be anxious, feverish. What, what anxious anxiety is being divided, having a divided mind. In other words, you're trying to go in two directions at the same time. Uh, the Greek word is very explicit. It's, it's amazing. Saying you can't have a divide. Psalm 86. David prayed, Lord, give me an undivided heart. He knew our hearts are so divided. Our mind is in pieces. And we just don't know sometimes what we're doing. And... Uh, Therefore, because you can't serve both God and mammon, don't be anxious. You've got to find that hope somewhere else. So he says, look outside. The king is commanding us not to worry. He's saying, I'll take care of you. And he gives in this a magnificent, poetic, beautiful. I mean, it's just stunning how beautiful Jesus weaves these words. He was a poet. In addition to being a theologian, in addition to being a, uh, understanding the hearts of men, he was, he, uh, he knows how we are made. He knows the frame. How does he know? Because not only did he make us, he became like us. He had those same things in his heart and he had to learn obedience by the things that he suffered, the, the, the writer of Hebrews said. Jesus went through what we went through. But he never lost the focus, the, the, the love of his father. I always do what pleases my father because that was his treasure. He lost everything at the end, but he didn't lose his father. Even the cry of dereliction. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus never let go. He knew that God would care for him. So he tells us here, Look outside, look at the birds, look at the lilies. He's saying, look at the flowers. 
King Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like what a mind that would understand that the beauty of a flower which blooms and then dies in a day is more glorious in all that 24-hour life than the kingdoms of this world, even Solomon in all his glory, cannot compare to this because that flower is glorifying God fully and completely as it was made to do. And we, unfortunately... Uh, can't find the same place. So, Sinclair Ferguson said this, and I I wrote this down years ago, and I, I just love it. And so here, anxiety can never be cured. This is, this is reality. This is why I love these, these theologians that we, we read and we think about in our little circle of Christianity, because they really do uh, have a depth of thinking that you just don't find everywhere. Listen, anxiety can never be cured by getting more of what we already have. Even the poorest person in this world has usually, except for some exceptions, uh, food and clothing and, uh, you know, the necessities. Even the poorest person has. A, and just getting more of that will not satisfy The poor think, oh, if I get more money, I'll be okay. No, they need God and they will be okay. Rich think, I don't need anybody. I've got everything I need. That's why it's harder for them to pass through the eye of a needle than for, or or harder for them to get into heaven than a camel uh, to pass through the eye of a needle. Ferguson goes on, anxiety is a sign. Listen. That we don't know or trust or yield our life yet to God. So anxiety can serve you in that when you feel yourself anxious, go take the inner look. What is making me afraid? Doesn't mean that you're just supposed to brush it off and don't think about it anymore. Or become presumptuous, oh God will take care of me. No, you may need to prepare, you may need to prep. But the idea is it's not the controlling factor. May help you make a decision, but not the controlling thing. It's a sign that we don't know or trust or are yielding. That's the inner look. Are you willing to do that? The Sermon on the Mount is about the kingdom of God, about His rule and reign. And listen, He is not going to share any space on the throne of your life with anything else He's going to take it away or disrupt it or do something. He's going to knock you in the head. I don't Whatever it takes. He's going to catch you one morning when you're sipping your coffee with a scripture that just burrows down into your heart and you can't get over it. Or some other thing. Whatever it is, God means for your good and He will bring you back. He will press you back to Himself. The kingdom of God is about the rule and reign of Christ in this world through us, but also in our lives. To the extent He rules and controls our hearts, still reading from Ferguson, we can be free from anxiety. Wouldn't you love that? Be free from anxiety. The logic is irrefutable. Let it grip your mind, your heart. Let it take control. Something's controlling us. He's saying, let this take control. He is saying nothing more than what Jesus is saying. Let the treasure of your heart be the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Uh, So how do you do that? He's showing us, look, here's the example. I've taken care of you in the past, taken care of you now, and I will promise to take care like the birds, like the lilies, like all these things that you see every day. 
Don't be afraid. You can't serve God and mammon. What do you do? Well, it's pretty simple. The outline here that I have. Verses 33 and 34. To combat anxiety. A heart that is divided. A heart in pieces. And and by the way, you have to do this every day. It doesn't just go away. And I'm okay now. (laughs) Every morning you wake up, you've got to start again. Okay? Like the lilies of the field. You have to clothe yourself with God's glory once again. Step back and the armor of God at the same time. And step back into the battle. Back into the fray. From the moment your eyes open till the moment they close each day. You are running to Jesus. Turning to your Savior. Looking up. Looking up. 30-34. Seek first. These are very well-known verses. Seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. You may suffer a life of poverty and, and degradation, but we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the life everlasting in the world to come. And in that context, everything, every desire of your heart will be met. Have you lost somebody in your life that you love? This is the only way you're going to ever see them again or get them back. Did you lose money? Have you lost your health? Have you lost your mind? Whatever it is, the only hope you have as a human being is the resurrection of Jesus to get that back. Otherwise, life here becomes pretty meaningful and you should have a lot of anxiety over it. I mean, really? We sprout up and we're gone here today, gone tomorrow. You should be worried about that. And I hope some of you that are listening, listen. You know, death is moving towards us. What is it the end? Is it just the end, the grave, and you just die? How is God going to put together His kingdom and righteousness? How is He going to put all that together? Only in His Son. Seek first His kingdom. All these things will be added. Therefore, don't be anxious. He repeats it again. It's like he, he, he closes it in a little sandwich, a little package, and He says, don't be anxious up here. Don't be anxious over here. He gives all the reasons in the middle. And He tells us, look up. Look, seek the kingdom of God. Get your heart and your treasure there. And then you can carry through everything here. Whatever happens. Whatever happens on Tuesday... If you find yourself on Tuesday night, the election return, heart is ripped. Or cynicism, oh, the country's going to go to whatever, and oh no, this one and this is going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. He said it, and I'd rather trust him. He said, you don't know tomorrow. The evil of tomorrow is good enough. It's sufficient for the day. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in the next few minutes. Especially if I don't stay with my notes. Do you see how fragile life is? You've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He said the Gentiles or the unbelievers out there, this is what they seek after. And you find everyone, I think, even Christians, trying to to get power, money, looks, Nickels and noses in churches. Whatever it is, we just drive and drive. Or we become paralyzed and we say, oh, it's just the way it is and I'm just going to give up and all that. And we're not, don't get, stay on the continuum. Get off the continuum and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Take that inner look. Take that outside. The Father, look what He says here. 
The Father knows what you need. (laughs) Now that's amazing. He knows what you need. Therefore, seek Him first and foremost, above all things and in all things. Be patient, be hopeful, and be expectant. Now, I don't know, you know, that's not easy to do. Uh, in fact, I would say it's impossible to do because we have a sinful nature. We have fallen. We have all rebelled. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How are we going to possibly ask yourself this? Those of you that are Christians, you need to ask yourself this every day. And those of you that are not, you're going to have to ask yourself every day and certainly at the end of your life, how will I redress the wrongs of my life. How am I going to ever find acceptance in God's kingdom and His righteousness when I don't have any of my own? And that's the dilemma that Jesus is driving throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's driving us down to think deeper about these things. How can you be this without me? Without Him? You see, someday we're all going to stand before God sometime, somehow, if there's an afterlife, if there's a judgment seat. And every human being, the Bible says very clearly, we're all going to come and all of our works, everything we've ever done or said or known, and all going to be laid out. We're going to be put in a scale. It's going to balance. And you're going to have to hope to God that your good and your merit and your worthiness and all of that is going to somehow outweigh your bad. And... Let me tell you, if you're confident enough to go into that judgment seat and say, I've done enough, and I'm good enough, and I can stand before God with a clear conscience, help yourself. But if you're not, if there's a broken part of you, if you know down deep inside that something's not right, and that you're here on this earth by the grace of God and plus nothing, and you have, you have nothing to hold up, And you look and you gaze into the heavens and you seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What are you going to see? You know, the biggest obstacle for me is Jesus. I can't look at God. I can't think about this world or the universe or myself because I come head to head with this man. This man on a cross. This man in a body. This man coming out of a grave. This man calling people out of the grave. He's our problem. You want to go, you want to get around him, fine. Do it at your own peril. But I can't. And I hope that many of you will come to that point, especially now in these world, this world we're living in that's chaotic. I hope you'll see there's no refuge, there's no hope. But this treasure, this one who for us didn't just say, here, come up here, try harder, and you'll get up here. No, I will come down for you. I'll be born in the world for you. I will come and bear the stripes for you, the nails for you, the thorn of crowns for you, the manger for you, the grave for you, the the shame and the guilt and the, the, the pitilessness of the world. I will take for you. Will you trust me? And on Tuesday, we got to trust Him all over again. Tomorrow, trust Him all over again. The day after, again and again and again. Will you trust Him? I pray, I pray you will.
And so, let's pray. Father, um, we live in a crazy world. Our world is probably tame and peaceful as can be compared to the world that our Savior was born into. A world of revolution, a world of war and chaos. Even though there was Pax Romana, every, at every margin, the threads were wearing thin. And there would be an upheaval in the world within a century or two that is one of the, one of the greatest upheavals of humanity. Let us know that, Father. Let us consider that. That even there you took care of your people and promised that you would be with them that you would not forsake them. If they would simply seek you with all their heart, you promised that they would find you. And I pray, Father, for our church and for the broader church within our city and even beyond that, I ask that you would hear our prayer, listen to our cries for mercy, give the church in these next decades, the true church, the remnant the faith and trust that You will not fail. And help us, strengthen us to assail the gates of hell even if we're powerless and weak. In fact, maybe it's better. In fact, it is. And if that's what it takes, Father, for us to assail the gates of hell that they will not stand against us, It'll be only because we are trusting you and depending upon you. Please, help us do that. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.